You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm Trevor Noah, and this is The Daily Social Distancing Show. Today is Monday, May 17th, which means it is officially your last chance to pay your taxes on time. And I know people hate paying their taxes, but don't think of it as the government taking away your money. Rather, think of it as everything the government buys is yours. Yeah. That's what I do to make myself feel better. So then when I walk down the streets, I'm like, oh, there's my stop sign. Hey, there's my orange traffic cone. And then when the police stop me from taking it home, I can say, hey, stop beating me with my batons. Anyway, coming up on tonight's show, space aliens are getting shy. Ronnie Chang gets rich off NFTs and everyone switches sides in the mask wars. So let's do this people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world. This is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. All right, people. Our first story is about Venmo. You know, the app that lets friends send the same $25 back and forth to each other. The money transfer app has become one of the most popular ways for people to pay for definitely not weed, but it's also a kind of social network with all of the privacy risks that go along with that. And it turns out that no one is safe. Heads up to anybody who uses Venmo. If you've got the app on your phone, it allows you to send money to people with the click of a button. You have the ability to make those transactions public or private. However, one thing is apparently not private, your contacts on Venmo. Users were able to find President Biden's personal Venmo account recently. And BuzzFeed was able to uh, look at everybody Joe Biden is connected with on the Venmo app. The White House was alerted to this. They scrubbed the president's account soon after. Venmo has not said whether they plan to make contact lists private after this report. Okay, this is shocking. Joe Biden has a Venmo account? How? The dude is like 150 years old. I thought, I thought he paid for everything with silver dollars or some shit. I didn't even know they had Venmo on rotary phones. Pizza emoji, cash emoji, heart emoji. And also people, what does Joe Biden even need a Venmo account for? I mean, he's the president of the United States. Who's asking him to chip in for drinks at Brian's birthday party? Like, I don't know if I'm the only one. I always thought that anyone who commanded a drone army didn't pay for anything. But the fact is that even the president's data is publicly available on Venmo which is kind of scary. I mean, not really for me. I've become numb to how dangerous tech is. You know, I'm used to tech companies abusing my privacy. Like, I know the app that shows me what I look like as a bird is actually being used to create an artificially intelligent killing machine, but what am I supposed to do? Not see what I look like as a bird? I mean, it's gonna bring me joy for like three seconds, guys. It's worth it. But I can't imagine that Joe Biden is losing too much sleep over this. I mean, first of all, I've seen Biden speak. He's asleep even when he's awake. And second, he's the president of the United States, all right? Do you know how much other shit he's got on his plate? He's got to end unemployment. He's got to fix the immigration system. And he's got to get major to let go of Pete Buttigieg. And on top of all of that, now he's got to deal with UFOs. Here's a question you've probably been asked before. Do you believe in UFOs? A former Navy pilot says his F-18 squadron began seeing unidentified flying objects consistently. The Pentagon confirms these are images of objects it can't identify. Lieutenant Graves told us pilots training off the Atlantic coast see things like that all the time. Every day. 
Every day for at least a couple of years. Um, wait, wait a minute, every day for a couple of years? Mm -hmm. The Intelligence Committee has ordered the Director of National Intelligence and the Secretary of Defense to deliver a report on the mysterious sightings by next month. Okay, hold up. The Navy has had UFO sightings every day for two years? Two years? These aliens have just been popping in, popping out, popping in, pop, but not doing it? It was the most passive-aggressive alien invasion ever. Listen here, aliens, we got a lot of shit on our plate. Either you probe me to death or you don't, but you don't leave me in suspense. Oh, and by the way, if any of you aliens have been watching us recently, you do realize this is not how we normally roll, right? I wanna clarify a few things for you, aliens. Humans don't usually wear masks, okay? We don't usually just talk to each other over the computer. And we don't usually scratch our butts and then sniff it to make sure it smells like butt. I know that we actually do that, but I just don't want us to look bad to aliens, so making us look good. By the way, I've got to say I'm not surprised that this pilot was a white guy. I mean, this dude saw UFOs every day for years. And then he just kept on going back to work every single day. Like, well, I wonder if they'll be back there tomorrow. <laughs> Guess I'll find out. Because I'll tell you now, man, if that was an African pilot, the moment he saw a UFO, he'd be landing that plane and finding himself a new job. I have no business with those ones, huh? I don't know why they are coming, but I have no business. But look, people, all joking aside, there's no such thing as aliens, all right? I know that whenever we hear about UFOs, people get all excited, but there's always a perfectly reasonable explanation for what you see. For instance, those could be secret military planes or even just clouds. Yeah, so just ignore the UFOs. But if the aliens ever do come to kill us all, I just hope that they give us an option on how to die. Sort of like what South Carolina is doing. Breaking news here and quite a choice to make here, really. In South Carolina, the governor has just signed a law that would force inmates on death row to choose electric chair or firing squad. The state has not carried out an execution in a decade, this due to a shortage of drugs for lethal injection. So this new law keeps lethal injection as the preferred method, but it does require either the chair or the firing squad if those drugs are not available. That's right. If South Carolina can't get the drugs to lethally inject you, then you choose either electrocution, in which case they take you to the electric chair, or death by firing squad, in which case they take you to an American high school. And I just have a question here, people. How are they even coming up with these options? Who's doing this? Are they just all in a room spitballing ideas? So how about a firing squad or a guillotine or, oh, oh, what about this? Eating too many ghost peppers, what do you think? Or we could always just not kill them? <laughs> Just kidding. How about if they get trampled by elephants? I mean, look, I guess props to South Carolina for being the only Republican state giving more black people the right to vote on something. But my question is, how do you expect people to choose an option? Like, how do they even know which one is better? Like, the people who've been through it can't exactly post a Yelp review, so how do you know? I mean, personally, I'd probably pick the chair. You know? Yeah, it's gonna be horrible, but at least I'd have a little last-minute revenge. Yeah, you might be executing me, but wait until you see your electric bill. Ha <laughs> ha! But let's move on now to our main story. Face masks. They're responsible for a 9,000% surge in smizing over the past year. Last week, the CDC officially announced that aside from a few exceptions, people who have gotten the COVID vaccine no longer need 
to wear masks to stay safe. And I was so excited. I went out to a bar, I walked into traffic, I went skydiving into a pool of sharks, didn't have a mask on for any of it, and it felt great, except for my leg. But now, some people are telling the CDC to slow their roll. With only 37% of the population fully vaccinated, some public health experts say more people need to be getting shots in arms before taking off masks. The CDC went from zero to 100 overnight. I think people should continue wearing masks indoors for probably another few weeks. The largest nurses union in the country disagreeing with the CDC, condemning the mask rollback, saying it puts those who are immunocompromised, children and frontline workers at risk. Several health experts are questioning whether federal officials are moving too fast by loosening mask recommendations. According to the Washington Post, more than a dozen physicians called the decision premature. Epidemiologist fights! So, on the one side, you have the CDC saying, take off your masks, and on the other side, you have experts saying, that is crazy. And look, I'm not surprised, people. Experts disagree all the time. You know, like how nine out of 10 dentists want you to brush your teeth. And then that last dentist is just like, just let your teeth rot, bro. Live your life. Plus, experts have been disagreeing with each other throughout this pandemic. Is it airborne? Is it safe to go back to school? Do you have to pay for a gift at a Zoom wedding? But I won't lie. When you've got respected scientists on both sides of an argument like this, it makes it very hard to know what to do. That's why I'm so grateful for anonymous Twitter replies. Those people always know the answer. So wise. But look, man, either way, I know that a lot of people are confused right now about which experts to listen to and which solutions to trust. And that's why I've come up with the obvious solution. I call it the half mask. It's the only mask that's been banned from Etsy. See, both sides win like this. What do you mean it doesn't make sense? The point is, the CDC is getting a lot of backlash from experts who want people to keep masking up. And unfortunately for the CDC, some people who have wanted to get rid of the masks this whole time are also mad at them. I'm sure you've seen the Republican criticism saying, well, great, this is encouraging, says Andy Biggs, but questioning the timing of this. Biggs says this, while the new mask guidance is encouraging the CDC and my far radical left colleagues only chose to do this to distract from the consequences of catastrophic policy decisions that have been heard around the world. You gotta love Marsha Blackburn asking in a tweet, why today the science hasn't changed? Jim Jordan has a theory on why things are changing. This is poll driven. Well, all this bothers Americans and they're done with it all. Well, if Jim Jordan thinks this is a cover-up, I trust him. Because Jim Jordan knows a lot about cover-ups. And you gotta admit, this reaction is a little weird, man. Because it's been months. Months of Republicans complaining about mask rules, but now they're upset that the mask rules are being relaxed? What? 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 It's like Mariah Carey getting mad at you because she got you for Christmas. Uh, no, Mariah, you said this was all you wanted. So, the CDC is taking fire from all sides. But guys, they're just reflecting what the science is. And everyone agrees that if you are vaccinated, it is very unlikely that you will get sick or spread the virus even without a mask. You know, it's like me clicking install updates now rather than remind me later. I mean, it's technically possible, but it's not actually gonna happen. And to be clear, a lot of places are accepting the CDC's new guidance. The problem is how to actually enforce it. 
Some major retailers are dropping mask requirements for vaccinated shoppers in response to the latest CDC guidelines. Among the names on the list, Costco, Walmart, Sam's Club, Trader Joe's, and Publix. This new policy also goes into effect starting today at Starbucks. Fully vaccinated customers don't need to wear the mask in stores. This is the honor system. That's right. Nobody's asking for your vaccine card. And so the hope is everybody's going to be a good citizen, look out for each other. The only problem is if there is no verification vaccination status. We are now exposing the two-thirds of the country, and we're seeing that the honor code is already not working. Yeah, no. No, 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 no. There is no way you're going to be able to trust customers with the honor system. I mean, have you ever seen the 10 items or less line? People will walk into that lane, look the cashier straight in the eyes, and then proceed to drop 22 items on the checkout counter, just daring them to say something. And I know it's not practical to check the vaccination status of everyone who walks into your store, but if they suspect an unmasked person isn't vaccinated, I mean, they they could at least try to catch them in a lie. That second shot was crazy, huh? I mean, the way it came down from the ceiling in that robot arm and it had the liquid nitrogen, that was crazy, right? (laughs) Yeah, that was nuts. But yes, because this is all based around the honor system, lots of unvaccinated people won't be wearing masks, even though they should be, which is ironic, because as it turns out, a lot of vaccinated people who don't need to wear a mask anymore are gonna keep doing it anyway. But even with the option to take off their masks, both indoors and outdoors, many who've been vaccinated say they're remaining cautious and keeping them on. I think I will still probably still wear a mask until until I feel it's safe enough to not. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's not just to protect me, but to protect, you know, like the city has said, protect the, the ones uh, around there. Last week, they tell you everybody must wear a mask, and now two days later, they're saying, take off your mask. I don't trust any of it. If you're not wearing your mask, I kind of want to stay away from you. It's tough to explain to the kids as well how we can take our masks off, but they have to keep them on. Until I get more information, until I get more directions, I'm going to keep the mask on. Wow. I can't believe we were worried that we wouldn't know who's vaccinated or not. Because now it's obvious, the vaccinated people are the ones still wearing masks. It is a little weird to me that some fully vaccinated people are treating their faces like limited edition Pokemon cards that can't be let out of the box. But at the same time, I do get it, you know? If you spent a fortune on masks this past year, you wanna keep wearing them so that you get your money's worth. And I understand that. As someone who owns 743 hoodies, I'm wearing these things. And here's the thing, here's the thing. Let's be honest as people. Wearing a mask, even if you don't need to, harms literally no one, all right? People are out here wearing fancy Crocs and fanny packs. It's fine. Do whatever makes you comfortable for whatever reason you want. Although, I don't know about those people who are saying they are wearing a mask because their kids still have to wear a mask. What do you, what do you mean? I'm setting an example for, you're an adult. Different rules for adults is one of the very core things that kids learn. Just tell them, I don't have to wear a mask and I can stay up past eight and I get two servings of ice cream if I want. You know why? Because I got old, bitch. Seriously, people, if anybody wants to wear a mask because that's what their gut tells them to do, that's fine. And I'm not just talking about risk-averse liberals either because apparently, some coronavirus conspiracy theorists have also started wearing masks because get this, they believe that vaccinated people 
are infecting them with their mutant microchip DNA. And you know what? Honestly, more power to them. In fact, it kind of warms my heart a little bit to think that somewhere, a liberal who is wearing a mask, even though he's vaccinated, will run into a conservative wearing a mask to protect himself from vaccines. And the two of them will look at each other and think, yeah, this guy gets it. All right, when we come back, Ronnie Chang learns about the latest scam in the art world. And Sharon Stone will be joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. When you think about art, what do you think about? Right, you think about paintings or museums, but definitely not cutting edge technology. But it turns out that is beginning to change. And Ronnie Chang has more. NFT. NFT. NFTs. NFTs, they're non-fungal toenails, or naked flag tricks, or non-fungible tokens. Whatever they are, everyone is talking about it. What is this new system where digital-only products are bought and sold? The painted work by the robot known as Sophia sold for $700,000 at auction. A robot painting worth $700,000? That's definitely a scam. To find out exactly how the tech bros are screwing us this time, I spoke to the top tech bro. Nah, it's not a scam. It's the real deal. You can, you can really make some money, definitely with NFTs. Because you said so? Yes. Look, Mark, just level with me here, okay? Is this like the Mavericks where you got stuck with NFTs and now you're just trying to convince everyone that it's cool? For real, Ronnie. NFTs are really a game changer. I can issue an NFT to allow you to have ownership in my house. I can issue an NFT to allow you to have ownership in that trophy behind me. You can spend $25, $50, $100 on great collectible art. This stuff is just starting. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger as more people understand it and become comfortable with it. I don't know what the f*** it is. It's just, it's just a simple way to own things. What I really admire is how you've taken something really simple that people understood and replaced it with something super complicated and it's gonna make you even more rich. Bravo. Ronnie, look, if you go into NFTs, don't do it to speculate. Don't buy something because you think it's gonna be worth millions of dollars. Buy something because you wanna collect it. And if you really truly like it, then it's worth it. The Cube had me convinced it's time to buy NFT art. But should I start with a GIF, a song by Trevor's Cool Tween, or a Pyro Girl meme? Or I could pick up some work by one of the stars of this new scene, digital artist Beeple. The technology is actually quite simple. You basically just upload a video and you can just make an NFT out of any video, any picture, any sound, anything you want. Wow, great. But how much can you realistically make off this? I sold a JPEG of that was a compilation of the last 13 years of work that I did. And that just sold at Christie's for $69 million, making me the third, no <laughs> no, no. third most expensive living artist. What? <laughs> Holy shit. This dude raked in $69 million on an NFT of one JPEG? This must be some Mona Lisa level artwork. Okay, you know what? Can you just show me this art that you're talking about? Okay, so here's the piece that I sold. This was the first picture that I did. It's a drawing of my Uncle Jim. And this down here is the absolute last picture. It's uh, a bunch of weird stuff drawn by a fully adult man pervert. Yeah, that's a real inspirational message. Keep being a weird pervert and 
eventually, if you don't get arrested, you might make $69 million. And it turns out Beeple's art only gets more mature from there. So the Mickey thing is sort of imagining if everybody wanted to drink milk from this weird robot Mickey thing um, because it, they put super addictive properties into it. So people were kind of a bit cracked out trying to get this Mickey milk. Okay, look, I don't know much about art, but that looks like something someone who knows about art would say is not art. Uh, yeah. But what do I know? Maybe noted critic Jerry Saltz could help me appreciate the true value of people's work. What you're seeing is pure crapola. They're just stupid cartooning, unoriginal, bro, high school notebook, blah. It's also sold for $69 million. So how do you reconcile your personal opinion with the fact that he's now super rich? Well, Art has always loved sleeping with money, and money loves having sex with art. But in this case, it's more like the 69ing, right? It's like a dick-waving contest. At auctions, you see white guys bidding up other white guys until, you know, they bring home the trophy. The next tech bro will want to pay $70 million to own the same looking thing, but I promise you, all of them are gonna lose money except for, you know, the four or 5%. And that's what America's all about. If the price of making money is you, Jerry, shitting on it, I think that's a price I'm willing to pay. My instincts were right as always. NFTs are definitely a scam, which means I had one last question for people. Look, I have to get on board, okay? If I don't get in on this, I'm gonna hate myself forever. 1,000%, can't lose. Great, so can you lend me some money to get in on this? Um, no. So can I take a photo of your artwork that you just sold and make an NFT out of that? You could, it probably will not sell for very much. We'll see about that, my pervert friends. Yes, we will. All right, when we come back, the one and only Sharon Stone is joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. My guest tonight is the award-winning actor and activist, Sharon Stone. She's here to talk about her new memoir, Sexism in Hollywood, and how a near-fatal stroke changed her perspective on life. Sharon Stone, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Well, thank you for having me. I'm so um, honored to meet you. Uh, the honor is all mine because, I mean, you are a living legend and an icon. You've been in some of the most iconic movies, telling some of the most iconic stories, playing some of the most iconic characters. But your new book that you have out tells us really the story of how you got to that place. And one of the biggest things that I learned about you that I'd never known before reading this book is that 20 years ago, you almost died. Please walk me through that and, and why you decided, you know what, I'm gonna share this, this really painful, harrowing story with people about a life that they never knew that I lived. I had to think about where did I wanna start? And I thought maybe I should just start with me and figure myself out first. And wow. so I thought I should look at my life so I could see an authentic look at my life. I just felt like once I had that near-death experience, it was the authentic things that became really of value to me and of mm. interest to me and of what I really 
how do we know once we have that death or near death experience, we're like, you know, I'm not going to waste my time on unimportant things from now on. I want to do the things that are truthful and honest. I want to move forward truthful and honestly. And I really believe that's the biggest change that's happened in my life from that. Your book, The Beauty of Living Twice. A lot of people through this book are going to be introduced to Sharon Stone, the young girl who's experiencing trauma growing up. And then Sharon Stone, the woman who is trying to make her name in an industry that I mean, we think of as as being sexist today, but man, when you describe it in the book, it really, really shows us how far Hollywood has come and how far it still needs to go. So let's talk first about the things you experienced in your childhood. What were you hoping to achieve by sharing some of these stories with an audience that that will, will genuinely be shocked that you went through these things as a child? Well, I think that it's very important to understand which things belong to us and which things don't just for starters. When you have trauma, you have to understand in order to sort it out, what's your responsibility and what isn't. Some of my trauma was uh, sexually related. And so when you're a child, obviously none of that is yours. None of that Mm. belongs to you. When there's sexual trauma, our whole way that we have been taught to deal with it is it's a secret. It's a secret, it's a shame, it's, oh, don't talk about that. We're not supposed to ever talk about that. Oh, shh. My whole um, impetus for talking about it is that we need to, you know, just like there's lice checks at school, there should be sexual abuse checks at school. I think sexual abuse is probably a bigger problem than lice. So I think we should be having these standard checks preschool, elementary, middle school, high school, college. I mean, I think all of this stuff needs to be really regulated in the school system, just like everything else, because this stuff starts in the home. It doesn't start with a button under somebody's desk in a business office. Yeah, it, it, it really does start in the home and we start to see those effects in society. And, and those effects show up in many different ways. Um, one, one of the most shocking for me I think came in the book when you were talking about one of your most famous movies of all time, Basic Instinct, and how the iconic scene that everybody around the world grew to know you for and the movie for was a moment when you yourself were tricked into, into the scene. Tell, tell me about that and, and, and how you felt, not just about being tricked, but then how you figured a way to own your power post that happening. Okay, well, I think... I talked about it as much as pretty much I want to in the book, but I do think that my mother summed it up very well with a, in a phone call that she got where someone called her um, at home right after the movie came out and said, how do you feel about your daughter's nudity in this film? And my mother said, frankly, I was much more concerned about her playing a sociopathic serial killer, but then I never <laughs> calling. Um, because I think that people made so sensationalized the fact that I was naked as God made me. Right, and right, right. were a little bit less concerned that I was playing a really violent uh, serial killer. Right. With no, um, no conscience at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the fact, first of all, that this thing was so sensationalized was also the hook the studio gave it to sell the movie. 
Uh, that they're still giving it to try to sell the director's cut release 30 years right 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 so, frankly i think it's more of a publicity scam than it is in reality as big a deal as everyone really made it and my power i think came from me knowing that i think my power came from me staying in my dignity and understanding that i was really great in the part that I really did a great performance. I was good in the movie and people believed me as a sociopathic serial killer <laughs> so much so that their bigger concern was that I was naked, not that I might run around <laughs> killing people everywhere. So I think that we probably should at this point in life start putting it back in perspective and start stop playing the studio PR game. I love that. I completely love that. And I, I feel like that's that's what the book is, and that's who you are as a person. You know, you, you're somebody who tells it like it is. You know, many people may not know this about Sharon Stone, but, but you are a fierce advocate for, for, for human rights. And one of your, the causes closest to your heart has been fighting for people who are suffering with HIV AIDS. You know, and that's something that has decimated so many millions of people around the globe. And for a long time, it was a hidden secret, not just in America, but in South Africa and in many places. And now, finally, we're slowly climbing out of the hole of shame that was associated with HIV AIDS. What are some of your proudest moments in seeing this journey get this far? And what do you hope to still see going forward? One of the great things that I got to help do was um, raise the money that funded the research to invent nevirapine, which stopped mother to child transition, transmission. Wow. So when we got to take nevirapine to South Africa and it became a law that pregnant women had to take HIV positive women had to take mm -hmm. nevirapine so that this stopped, you know, hundreds and thousands of, right, right. of, of babies to be born without HIV AIDS. This was remarkable. But then all of a sudden, and particularly in South Africa, um, these women had this terrible choice because they couldn't breastfeed their children or they right. then yes. transmit HIV AIDS. But then guess what? There was no clean water. So they could get, we were giving their babies malaria because right. they're walking with these gas cans full of filthy water on their head to make the, the formula milk. So I'm, I went to South Africa and I was like, what are we gonna do? And so I worked with a company about putting in water wells. You know, I've been back a, a, a few times and I've gone to these girls' schools and these girls, they were curtsying to me and looking down and calling me sir because they were taught that any important person was a sir. And I think one of my most rewarding experiences was telling these girls, I'm like you, I'm a woman, I'm not a man. And every important person isn't a sir. You're important. And I spent the entire day teaching these women, these young women that not everybody that was important was a man and they were allowed to look up and look me in the face because they'd spent their whole life looking down. It just, to me, that may have been one of the greatest days ever of my wow. life. It's beautiful, really. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, it must be life-changing. It's, it probably sounds small, but it's, it's really big. It is, it's just so big. Definitely, definitely. And I think that's, that's what most people will connect to in not just your stories, 
but in how honest you are in telling them in the book is that it is a collection of small that really combines to create the biggest big that is Sharon Stone. Thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for sharing with us. Thank you for caring. And uh, yeah, I really hope everybody reads your story to understand you a little bit more. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Don't forget, Sharon Stone's memoir, The Beauty of Living Twice, is available now. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, The Daily Show is proud to launch our Daily Show Dogs collection. It's a new charitable line of gear for your dogs, right? Only your dogs. You're not going to be wearing this handkerchief yourself. And 100% of Viacom CBS proceeds will be donated to Best Friends Animal Society, which are working to save the lives of cats and dogs all across America and give them second chances and happy homes. If you want to check it out, scan the QR code below or head to dailyshow.com forward slash dailyshowdogs and you can support Best Friends and deck out your dog all at the same time. So if you're able to, go to the link below and donate whatever you can. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you're on death row and they ask you how you want to die, you say natural causes. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 